Hello, welcome to Conversations with the Boyce of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Artemis, who is a transsexual of female biology. And in this conversation, we talk about Artemis's transition and uh, the political slash personal valence of a trans identity. Definitely check out Artemis's work on YouTube and elsewhere, which is linked down there in the description. Without further ado, here is Artemis. I'm sorry. I just want to jump into the interview. Do you mind? Whatever you'd like. I'm okay. open to it. Absolutely. Because like, I just I hear questions in my head, and then I have to ask them. But some people like <laughs> preambles good. and stuff like that. Um, I'm I'm rather open to whatever your process is. I appreciate what it. What is what is your what are your thoughts or what is your relationship to? Or about the relationship between your lived experience or identity and politics. Like the trans identity is now a political identity, almost first yeah. and foremost now, because mm -hmm. of the way that um, things have shaken out over the last five years. What, sure. what are your, how do you navigate that? Or So uh, I, maybe I'm a bit different in this way. I, I tend to, in some ways, carefully tread the line between being aware of what's going on in the outer world, and then also attempting to stay somewhat sheltered and, and cut off from it. And I, I do that after I had come across some musings by Schopenhauer, uh, who had mentioned that hmm. There's only so much reading that may be helpful for you to do uh, on other people's ideas and influences before it starts to so much influence your own thoughts that it becomes prohibitive to you coming up with your own thoughts and ideas. So as far as the relationship to the political scene, you know, what is now, like you said, the idea that is transgenderism or the trans identity, I sit weirdly apart from that for myself, knowing full well that when I interact with people, that they are going to have a lot of their own perceptions about that, typically based on, you know, what they've seen, what's been created, you know, within the sociocultural scene. So it's difficult because if you don't have the space to have the one-on-one -on -one conversations with people to, to break through that. Um, but I, I attempt to anyway, at least mm -hmm. with the conversations that I have individually with my clients um, or people that I interview with, because I feel like that's really the only way that I can sort of uh, bridge that gap um, and begin to what I see as affect any kind of net positive change, you know, basically clean up your own corner first, be the example. <laughs> mm. I don't know if that answers your question very well. Um well, follow-up question. What do you mean by mm -hmm. making things more positive then? Like, what, what is the general direction? Sure. Um, honestly, at the end of the day for me, what this boils down to is just giving people a space to express all of their fears, worries, concerns. I mean, these are often things that will dictate someone's behavior if they're not being conscientious of it. And, you know, we go day to day, maybe not realizing that so much of what we choose to do is based in that. And so my goal, I think anyway, would be more positive for people 
would be to give them a space to talk, you know, non-judgmentally, comfortably, really thoroughly explore feelings that maybe they don't necessarily feel comfortable with even themselves or especially, you know, expressing that to somebody else um, and giving that sense of, uh, you know, it's it's okay, you know, because we've all got all sorts of things that go on inside our heads day to day that unless we have a paid therapist, maybe, and even then we, we wouldn't allow to see the light of day. And I think that causes a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety, a lot of all sorts of, you know, warped coping mechanisms that if we were just allowed to talk about it without somebody, you know, breathing down our neck, jumping down our throat, you know, and any number of things, a negative response that we might unwind ourselves a little bit, learn something about ourselves, and then in doing so, be able to have, you know, empathy for other people. Um, so that's in general what I what I aim to do, you know, with uh, with every conversation that I have. It often, you know, does come down to sex and gender. That's, I think, um, a crucial aspect of of our existence. But um, it certainly doesn't have to be. That just tends to open the door <laughs> to people being able to talk about what they consider taboo subjects or, mm. you know. So. How do you, what's your definition of gender? Oh, boy. So... I have come to see gender as a, a very multifaceted thing, which in some ways does make it difficult to define. But the core of it for me is to call it um, typically what we might consider, you know, masculine and feminine. So when we talk about gender, it would be in terms of what's, you know, masculine or feminine. And each of those things, characteristics, can be defined by biological characteristics. They can be defined by social or cultural characteristics. And in that way, it does make it very difficult to say this is, you know, this or the other. Um, it, it can shift in some ways, um, depending on the way that we look at it, which is, to me, endlessly fascinating. Um, and to me, there really is no right or wrong honestly there some of it has a basis in biology you know like masculine characteristics might be a, a chiseled jawline there are females that have chiseled jawlines that doesn't make them male it's just masculine we would associate that typically because uh, physically and anatomically that's usually what you see of course you know general um so there's that biology but again it's general and then there's cultural some cultures would consider long hair on a male to be perfectly acceptable uh, if not attractive whereas other cultures would say you know no that's prohibitive to whatever it is that males typically do so we see males with short hair as being the standard of masculinity so um if that helps to answer your your question mm -hmm. at all I, i've thought about it quite a bit but it, it can be kind of difficult to you know really fully define yeah when did the thought first enter your head, do you think? Uh, as far as, like, how to define gender? Uh, just uh, considering gender. Considering, I'm a oh, boy, shit. I'm a girl, I don't want to be a girl, <laughs> I am a girl, I'm, uh, that's a boy, this is what a boy is, this is what a girl is. Sure, 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 sure. And that, for me, is is so crucial to separate, for starters, that, you know sex and gender for me anyway i think it's useful to define those two things as different even though in places like the dsm they conflate the two which makes it all the more difficult to have these conversations 
Um, so for me, you know, sex would be, like you said, boy, girl, male, female. It has to do with, you know, the typical genitalia presentations of those two sexes. Um, and so I, I never, here's the, here's the interesting thing about my history is that I never really considered the whole, am I a boy or am I a girl? At least I don't think so anyway. Um, I will give the full disclaimer that I don't have a ton of, oh, recollection that I, I really had that kind of self-awareness at that age or really even through my teenage years, honestly. I, I went through a lot of it fairly dissociated. I was a very left-brain logical individual. Hmm which uh, in some ways now I'm understanding might have slight autistic tendencies, but you know, it's not a formal diagnosis in any way. It's just me doing my research, but um, I never really had that sort of consideration. And perhaps because I grew up without the internet, without exposure to really any of those ideas, are you a boy? Are you a girl? Masculinity, femininity, none of those things entered my, my realm of introspection um, or consideration for that matter. So I actually didn't even begin to consider all of these until I had uh, late, later in life, rather, I came out as a lesbian, actually, when I was 20, oh gosh, I think I was like 28 years old or something like that. I was closeted for quite some time and even had spent that whole first bit of my life just straight up denying my, my sexuality um, for reasons that we can talk about or not. And so I had not hadn't even considered my own sexuality, much less an identity. I just knew that, you know, everybody always said that I was very typical for male behavior, the way that I I dressed and acted and looked at the world and, and all those things. So I just thought, okay, so I'm a tomboy. That's you know, that happens, whatever. And uh it wasn't until I came out and then started to explore all of these things of course i had the internet but i never used it um and connected socially or you know in these reddit groups or anything that a lot of these kids are having access to today and getting this gender ideology from i didn't i didn't have that i didn't dip into it i was a workaholic obsessed with my <laughs> the things that i wanted to do in that way and i was shut off so i was rather pristine you could say and untouched from all of that until i came out as lesbian when i was 28 and then started to come across some of this information like oh Maybe there's maybe there's more to this. Maybe I actually could keep going down this road. And at that point, you know, this is after your prefrontal cortex development. I'm able to fully deploy all of the critical thinking and you know reasoning and skills of logic and really started to dig into all of this ideology. And for myself, I realized that I was not um, I did not have that early onset gender dysphoria, like many transsexuals claim to have at a young age, you know, five, six, seven, I knew that I was, you know, born in the wrong body. I didn't have that. But I still had this, well, I, I think I act, I, I behave, I do all sorts of things that people have attributed to, in general, male behavior. What if I might actually benefit from some of these things that are typical uh, medicalization for transgender people and so i essentially decided well i went through pros and cons of everything and decided to start walking it forward step by step um, with the cross-sex hormones essentially treating myself as a full-blown experiment um which some people might think that's very strange <laughs> but for me um after thinking it through i thought all right uh I'll, i think i could i could do this i want to do this actually um mm. and so I started considering 
sex, gender, and, and everything else along with that when I was, um, well, yeah, when I was 28, 29 years old, sat on it for a year, two years with all the research, and then proceeded with it when I was 31. Hmm. So, um, yeah. What was the uh, allure of the, I guess, the whatever you would gain or lose from uh, the cross-sex hormones? Sure. So um, I had a little, another little tidbit about my past. I had been on birth control actually since I was, goodness, uh, it might have been 14, maybe 14 or 15. And strictly because my menstrual cycle was so miserable for me that I was not functional um, in a ton of pain. And, you know, no matter what I did, it, nothing was helping. And so I'd started that at 11. I was missing school um, and extracurriculars. So hmm. it was suggested that I go and, and go on birth control to try to regulate some of this and even get to the point of actually skipping my menstrual cycle, which did help me tremendously. However, um, I had, uh, when I was again, 27, 28 years old, I just hit a breaking point that something with inside me said, I need to stop this hormone treatment because something is not right. This does not feel right to me. And I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I, so I, I stopped taking it. I went off of it. And within two weeks, my everything about my, my mental everything just turned upside down. And that's the only way that I can kind of describe it to you is that I just felt completely lost and that I was um, I was not heading in the right direction for myself, and so well, after did you not know who you were, or did your values shift, or I well up until that point I had been in the relationship with um, a, a very toxic relationship, unfortunately, with uh, someone who was not of the correct sex for my sexuality. Again, I was living in pretty deep denial of all of that. And um, and just knew that whatever I was doing, whatever I was masking was not being authentic to myself, whatever that actually was. And as I you know, would later come to find out, I was suppressing a lot of that for uh, for fear of upsetting or disappointing, you know, family and, um, you know, just having grown up in a very. It's a cult. It was a familial cult, not in the official like we were Scientology or anything like that. But the whole, you know, your family unit, you are absolutely enmeshed in that. And you it's not entirely safe to be whoever you are within that family unit. There's that um, again, that enmeshment that was occurring, that it was so buried deeply within me that um, it was entirely keeping me from fully differentiating myself as an individual. So when I went off the birth control, that's when, I mean, all hell absolutely broke loose within me. And then over time, you know, slowly that did um, alleviate a bit as, as I guess my hormones may be stabilized to some degree, but having that in mind, knowing the power that hormones have on somebody in, in so many ways, I thought maybe my experience, my, my mental health, could get better than I than I actually realize or that I can fathom at this point with cross sex hormones. If I happen to, you know, think, behave, you know, view the world in all of these ways, more typically male, it might have something to do with my physiology, which we don't quite understand yet, which for me, I recognize, no, I'm a biological female. I was born that way, of course. But what if, what if there are some, you know, mutations that are not you know, able to be seen with the naked eye that 
do happen to mesh better with cross-sex hormones that would lend some, you know, additional dimension to this theory of intersexuality and, and a greater expansion on what we come to see as what is male or, you know, female, so to speak. And I believe in having some, you know, distinct boxes for certain areas of application. It's just for me, it's always about, you know, pushing the bounds of what we understand and what we know. Mm. Um, because despite what we think we know now, it's it's paltry compared to what we could understand. There's so much about the brain we don't understand or know at this point. And even if you look, you know, 200 years ago, what we understood about science and anatomy and biology and physiology, it's 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 uh, comical, really. Hmm. And so there's I know there's so much more to go. Um, and so that's why all of this was just sort of very appealing to me. I just, you know, with those sorts of, you know, logic. Yeah, I'm a biological female on the outside in some ways. But what if? So, and that's what kind of stepped me further down. And I mean, after I didn't get any of the negative experience that some females talk about when, you know, they started on testosterone, thinking that that was the correct solution for them and realizing relatively quickly, no, 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 this, this is not meshing well with my system at all. But for me, it was, I couldn't, I couldn't understand, couldn't fathom at that point how much better my life was going to get hmm. mentally um, than after I started taking the testosterone. I never had any of those, you know, rage fits or, you know, severe anything that was just uh, a depression or anything like that. None of that. Uh, in fact, just the opposite for me. So I've been, it's almost five years now on testosterone. Um, hmm. I don't see myself as a, uh, to, to harken back to your question about identity, for me, there's, this might sound sort of mystical, but there is no identity for me. I don't attach myself to any particular label. I'm a conglomeration of things that maybe to some people don't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but to me, it doesn't have to, really. Hmm. It just is. So, Were you um, in an environment, either culturally or, you know, your time and place, uh, where when you were 11, 12, 13, 14, um, leading up to using birth control, where people investigated, the, your caregivers investigated if there were environmental factors to the distress around your uh, menstrual cycle or dietary issues? Did they, did they thoroughly check all the different ways that um, you could be uh, benefited without hormonal intervention? Sure. Sure. Um, I, so it's from that period in my life, honestly, from, you know, the time that I became aware of myself in, in much capacity, or I should say have any memory, was like eight years old up until, you know, almost that point of, you know, me going off of birth control, my memory is not real distinct. Um, mm -hmm. And that could be because there was a lot of, again, distancing myself, dissociating, um, you know, from just my day-to-day -day experience. What was your what I, imagination life? Sorry to interrupt. What was your, nothing. like your imagination or your intellectual life? Like, how did you, uh, what did you get interested in? What did you do? Where did you live? Like in your head, yeah. uh, you know, fantasy sure. novels, what kind of stuff? Right. Yeah. I, so there were, I definitely noted that there were times when I would be extremely drawn to certain fantasy movies and I would just, you know, sit in them for hours at a time. I would consume all sorts of, you know, material about behind 
behind the scenes footage about certain fantasy movies that I really liked. Um, Lord of the Rings comes to mind, uh, or even, you know, a little bit later Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, really? But yeah, and, but I, yeah, yeah. But I, I would, I would pull back from that because I conscientiously realized like if I do this, I'm going to, you know, throw off any, any goal or, you know, wish or dream or thing that I'm, I'm trying to go for. I was always very driven for what I considered to be hardcore hardcore knowledge which so i was i was the kid that would read the encyclopedia um that would sit there and memorize and specifically animals were a huge thing for me um i would memorize the the latin names for the animals but i didn't i didn't even have to spend much time doing it it would just you know i I could rattle them off after i had read them once and it just made sense to me and i would talk about things from a very you know typically that uh, biology standpoint that was always something that was more interesting interesting to me so i would i would sink a lot of my effort into just acquiring the knowledge so as far as imagination goes i i avoided that largely why i'm not i'm not really certain but again i i, I think that that has that's a bit more on the autistic spectrum from what i understand there's very um very driven towards facts and special interest and, and focus, you know, in that it, way. Were you um, uh, blocked in that, encouraged in that? Uh, I, yeah, I do think uh, it was a focus, of course, for my parents, for me to have a good education. Um, neither, well, my father had gone to a uh, flight school to college, ended up joining the military, uh, I believe, very, very shortly after I was born. And, uh, and my mother... I mean, she was 17 when I was born, so it was a, a focus for her and both of them really to make sure that I was doing very good academically because for them, that's how they saw success. And when you come from lower middle class, typically, from what I understand, that makes sense. So there was a very, uh, very hard focus on you know doing well in my studies. And so that's, uh, again, I think maybe as a lot of kids wanting to impress their parents, um, live up to whatever's asked of them. That's what I did. So, hmm. and how did that um, proceed once you got out of high school? Did you go to college? What did you sink your teeth into? Yeah. So I actually uh, some of the pursuits that I had wanted were maybe typical of a young boy wanting to you know go into the military or go into the police force or you know aggressive sort of things. And that was something that I had actually dealt with a bit as a um, you know a young girl that um, there was a fair amount of uh, want to be physical and and be aggressive, actually, in some of those ways. I often found myself getting in challenges or fights, physical fights with boys, <laughs> which was unusual um, until I hit, you know, fifth grade and they could absolutely womp on me <laughs> and or that they, you know, didn't want to because I was a girl. Either way, it was probably for the much better. Um, but that was always within me. So, you know, by the time I hit... After um, high school, I had talked about to my father because I quite looked up to him. I wanted to go into the military or do some of those things. And, you know, he was very forward thinking at that point and realizing I would absolutely just be mincemeat, um, especially in the branch that he was in. And the Marines probably would have ended in all sorts of trouble uh, for me. Had said, no, you're going to college. (laughs) And so there, there really wasn't much of a choice for me, not mm-hmm. that I had actively thought to do anything else. Um, so Ohio State, I went 
for, you know, pre-veterinary medicine because animals were, you know, my focus at the time. And, and what I came to later realize was essentially an escape for me, um, dogs, especially, and the, that whole relationship that, that, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms that I could talk about. Um, um yeah, the, the, yeah. I just want to poke there. You mm-hmm. dogs bring to my mind that you were able to connect. You, you were able to find friendship. Sure. Yeah. Through them yeah. rather than with other humans or people of your. I, yeah. Age. So a lot of my relationships were, um, I did have a couple of female friends, close female friends. Um, one of them whose um, father's farm, I actually worked on physical labor. I did physical labor through high school. And the other one, um, uh, we had horses in common. <laughs> so, you know, we, we rode horses and did stuff like that. Um, but uh, outside of that, a lot of the people that I would more often be talking to were actually my teachers, my high school teachers. After class, I would stay behind and I would talk to them because um, that just was always where I found more um, hmm. fulfillment, I suppose, more connection. Um, so, hmm. yeah, animals were just uh, one of those things. Dogs, they'd been around since I was born, literally. And I understood their body language. I understood you know, it was very predictable for me. And it seemed to me at the time that there was that love there and that acceptance period, no matter what, that, you know, kids just, they want. Um, And then I found getting from dogs. Confusing social cues and uh, gossiping and all this, uh, all the vicissitudes of uh, inner human relations, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, on top of um, even all of my peers knowing before I knew that I was different in the way that, you know, I, any male that I tried to quote unquote pursue awkwardly because I thought that's just what you did. It, as it turned out, I joke, uh, as it turned out, two of the three guys that I had pursued in high school turned out gay. <laughs> huh. And of course, flat out denied me at the time. I couldn't understand why, but they were picking up, I think, on something deeply um, biological or, or chemical or, or something like that. Um, but it's just later in my life came to be become very comical. But um, anyway. Oh, oh no. Comedy of errors yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> sure, you, yeah. You said dogs or animals were an escape escape mm. from what and what flavor tea are we drinking today since you bring it oh up. yeah absolutely yeah so my favorite is um it's a, a blueberry um well blueberry flavored tea blueberries and cream um my wife blends all of her own teas and so i'm fortunate enough to have some pretty excellent flavors to choose from mm. um so yes today we're having uh my my, my go-to blueberries and cream but uh mm. anyway yeah so dogs um why, why did you say the word escape? Escape, yeah, absolutely. So, and this is this is hindsight twenty twenty. Um, when okay. I say escape, at the time, I I did not at all view it as that. I viewed it as that was, in some ways, my identity and sense of purpose. So, I came into dogs. I did um, dog training, dog grooming. I started out wanting to go for veterinary medicine. Um, for me, it was serving with the dogs, which I. Uh, I saw as the underdog, you know, um, that I was I was serving somebody, something, someone that needed, you know, needed me and Mm. and I was getting appreciation from them. And so my entire life revolved around dogs and even further into college. I spent a lot of time doing rescue work with high kill shelters. And um, that just that became my identity. Um, But then 
after getting married over time, getting exposed to some more of this, you know, psychology and really digging deep about why I did what I did and, you know, why I thought what I thought about what I was doing, where I was going, who I was to any degree. There, there hadn't been a whole lot of introspection at all up to that point. And so my life did a complete 180 again when I came out as a lesbian and then I started to, you know, understood that I needed to perhaps um, work through some things that I had not worked through, even becoming aware that there were things to work through hmm. before I pursued any more of the medicalization, um, worked through all of that in that year to year period, and then still arrived at that that same point. But um, hmm. yeah, so the dogs were everything that having to do with them became became me. So I might be um, kind of stuck in my own loop right now. And the way that I keep on framing things, or I might be picking up on something. I don't know. So I'm just bringing mm -hmm. my own thinking to the conversation right now, but yeah, uh, sure. Connection. Like you were able to be connected to dogs and perhaps you formed a connection with them when you got off birth control. Your, your, our bodies are, the way in which we connect to life. And, and once mm -hmm. you rearrange how your body's behaving, the hormones and the stuff, and it's, I don't, I don't know if there's studies on this or if people have really taken our society is at large has taken it really seriously. The impacts that birth control or hormone medication has on the development of one's personality. And especially if mm. you're doing that from your, through your whole development, your, how does yeah. that affect the brain? How does that affect right. your, your feelings? How does that affect, you know, how you relate to everybody else? Because you, if you're fiddling with your body, you're fiddling with everything else. Mm. So yeah. when you get off that birth control, you, you have to, the, your primary mode of connection to the world being your body sends you in a loop. So you have to reconfigure everything. So I'm just wondering, you said you don't identify with identity. Um, so identity and another way of saying that is the, identity is not the way that you make connection to Correct. yourself and to other people. So what is, what is that? How do you formulate how you connect to the world, how you connect to yourself, how you connect to other people? Um, and, and I'm wondering, like, is there a religious framework that you've been dealing with or a mm. psychological framework? So I, I'm personally of the belief that we, our souls are eternal, eternal. This is, you know, mm. we are having a, a, a human experience as a spiritual being, you know? Um, and so this is not going to be my only time here. It hasn't been my only time here. And I'm I'm willing to let go of that, I guess, fear of death or fear of missing out or really fear of a lot of those things in order to just experience things as they are and watch other people's response to me and see, you know, what what that does. So I recognize that, you know, we can't get away from these labels and identity because we're consistently interacting with people, oftentimes on a subconscious level based on these things. Um I, I have a feeling that I have certain predispositions 
that are just part of the avatar. This is the suit that I, you know, I'm mm. in, and I'm led to do certain things because they are just part of the the learning process, the unfolding. There is no right wrong. It's just what is to be that person's experience, and then what they feel drawn to do as a result after that. Um, because it's never ending. Just because we die, it doesn't stop. Um, but that's that's how I believe, and I think it keeps me from being all wound up in in those sorts of things, so hmm. I can just observe okay. and, and play with it a little bit. <laughs> Have you always had that um, frame of reference, or how did that um, develop for you? I think all of that, again, came to be that, that sort of uh, development after I finally started accepting just what was with me rather than fighting it. Um, mm. cause that's, that's, and so maybe to answer your question a little bit more directly from earlier, how dogs were my escape, I didn't have to focus on myself. I didn't have to reconcile with any of the truths of, you know, what accepting myself would do, would have, you know, in my outer environment, what sorts of relationships would end or mm. become more difficult or, or even, you know, what would I have at the end of that? Um, I might be alone, you know, at, considering all of these things, all of these fears, dredging them all up and really sitting with them and working with them. Um, hmm. Hardest thing ever in my life. And I spent, you know, a total now of roughly six or seven years, seven years now doing it. Um, hmm. I wouldn't trade it for the world, though. And as far as I believe, it was all to happen precisely as it was, because to me, that that's the hero's journey. It's one of the greatest stories you can ever experience hmm. and live, you know? So. How did you, what medium did you end up using to work through this stuff? Was it internal thoughts? Was it writing? Was it uh, some sort of uh, dialogue or discourse with a... I had, so I, I consumed an insane amount of material, uh, typically... It would be um, YouTube videos, people talking about their experience of um, everything from the transgender, transsexual side of it to what the spiritual side, what people have called Dark Night of the Soul. Um, I went through uh, lectures from Stanford about evolutionary behavioral biology. So I went, you know, that route and then the spiritual route and then, you know, so many different ways to look at this problem. <coughs> the vast majority of it for me was done within my head and then also with the absolute incredible patience and saintlyhood of my wife mm. <laughs> who she, when she came into my life this was when all of all of that started to to kind of unfold essentially um and she had had some training with uh trauma survivors abuse survivors um had that psychological wherewithal at that point that she was able to kind of graft some framework for me and directions really for me to start exploring things that I didn't think might be related, but definitely were. So without her illumination, it would have been, I imagine a whole lot harder because um, I didn't have access to a therapist or, or anything like that. So it was, yeah, largely internal and, and with her, her help. Hmm. So. You know, there's a, um, your, your channels tea time with, or Temus, and uh, that T uh, has a lot of different, um, there's a lot's in that word, right? Um, I don't know, uh, you can even a... see a cross there, you know? Um, yeah. Which might be yeah, yours to a... bear, but... Um, sure. Yeah. So there's yeah, the, testosterone, the there's T, but there's also trauma. You brought up trauma, that that T, mm -hmm. that T word. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts on that? And... Uh, I mean, broadly, just as a framework, and then um, how that's 
how that helps that that way of looking at things, whatever trauma is to you, how thinking about it as this thing called trauma has helped mm -hmm. you to develop through it, overcome mm -hmm. it, understand it, mm -hmm. accept it, integrate yeah. it, whatever the whatever the process is. Sure. Yeah. So in, in that case, I do come back to a little bit of um, somewhere between CBT and ACT therapies, um, uh, radical acceptance and uh, you know, cognitive behavioral in the sense that for me, when I anymore, when I think of trauma now, I think it's first and foremost important to radically accept that throughout anybody's best efforts, whether they love you or not, or even within yourself, that there will be things that you will experience that will cause you trauma. And that that is something that you will be continuously, you know, working with and through maybe your entire life, because there may always be traumas that are, con you know, consistently occurring. It'll be what you do with it that determines how your life is going to unfold. I, grew up in that, you know, very military, um, you know, we don't, we don't cry and we don't really talk about emotions kind of thing, even though it was me and two other girls in the family. And I think maybe, you know, over time with them, that sort of fell away a bit. Um, or perhaps I just internalized all that is, you know, don't show emotion cause that's not safe in general. Um, but, uh, to me, that's, that's all trauma inducing, even when you can't just, uh, ex experience your emotions safely um, in an environment. And so I think it, and then as a result, then what you do with that, if you allow yourself to continue to become more, you know, closed off and, and fearful and, you know, avoidant of experiencing any of that, it will paint you into a corner and it absolutely will cause, you know, reverberation, more depression, more anxiety, more, you know, everything. The only way out is through, in my opinion. And so um, there's no shame in accepting or, or recognizing that you've been hurt in any way. You know, no judging or minimalizing about how much or how little it doesn't matter. It just is. Um, and that to keep trauma from guiding you in certain directions that may they seem adaptive, but they're maladaptive. You need to look at it. You need to process it and think is this something that is preventing me from doing something that might actually be good for me or you know is it causing me to do things that are not good for me um in the case of a lot of detransitioners when they talk about trauma they've experienced um they after having been introduced to gender ideology they'll um follow the i need to now be the opposite sex because it's my sex that's the problem mm -hmm. um so there's that you know, warped logic that happens uh, also partially because I believe we're not teaching any of these kids how to uh, critical thinking skills or logic skills or, or any of that in tandem with emotional regulation skills. Um, so then your brain being the all powerful thing that it is, will come up with all kinds of solutions um, in order to avoid that pain. So mm -hmm. it's the avoidance of pain that causes us to do all sorts of very, very interesting things. No. Have you, um, have you developed a relationship to your emotions? Is that like, uh, is that a framework? Like, do you, you, you have, we have strong emotions. Mm -hmm. 
the mind, you seem like a very capable um, mind. The mind and that right brain, I guess, is one way of thinking about it. Like, like mm -hmm. I can't control this thing. It's it's coming at me in colors and and shapes, and it's not like it's mm -hmm. not something I can think about or I can't control it with thinking. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, mm -hmm. so you stuff it away, maybe, and then like trying to integrate that or trying to form a relationship between that part which analyzes and that part which experiences. Um, is that a way in which you've developed over the past six years or so? So I'll try to answer that as best as I can. And if I don't answer it well, please let me know. It's, um, a, it's a malformed question or partially formed question. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I had up until that, you know, roughly 28 years old, up until that point, I had come to see him having emotions as a very dangerous thing. They were very unstable. They caused you to do things that were unacceptable. You couldn't trust them. Um, you know, so I had developed heavily into the intellectualizing of everything and then the complete dissociation and shutting down of all of my emotions as much as I possibly could, which then the only one that typically remained was anger. So I could, I could uh, express that one quite well. And that makes sense from a therapeutic standpoint, from what we understand about anger typically as you know a, uh, a an emotion that tends to mask something else that's going on mm. um were you uh, now... did you join like antifa was there some fun <laughs> oh, no. thing that you did with your anger <laughs> no no what i did with my anger was um was typically just work out a oh, lot <laughs> really like marathon um, yeah. or lifting or Lifting. I did a lot of lifting. Yeah. Um, and so it, lifting, push-ups, you know, pull up, just that anything um, that would help to, you know, move that energy, which from what I understand, you know, primal movement and things like that, therapies that are fantastic for masculine leading people is, you know, that more physical work. And of course, you know, they're still the uh, the movement of energy through the body this is getting into the maybe a more esoteric or spiritual realms um, for feminine people might be you know more of the um lighter types of yoga or qigong or something like that mm. uh, versus the more physical or like as a kid i built so many things from like logs and sticks and wood <laughs> out in the forest just like physically manipulating and moving things heavy things um that were so weird for me as a you know a five foot four female of a hundred and you know twenty pounds that was strange for a lot of people huh. um but it worked for me working through that. But now I, uh, instead of, you know, recognizing through, again, a lot of that therapy, internal therapy that I did, learning how to emotionally self-regulate and actually expand on, on these things. Because previously, again, emotions were a scary thing for me. I was given no tools to navigate them whatsoever. I had a mom who, when she broke down, it was just sobbing, crying, and completely hysterical and, you know, dysfunctional. And then I had a father who, when he broke down, you felt like, the world was going to be torn another black hole. Mm. Um, so, I mean, think of pissing off a Marine and, and you have an idea of, of what yeah. actually happens. And I think the only reason why he didn't actually become physically abusive with any of us, because we were all female, honestly, I, I love my father. Don't get me wrong whatsoever. I blame neither of my parents for anything that has happened up to this point or for the way that they parented me. I forgive them and I totally understand everything. I, I just simply understand, mm. you know, growing up in that environment, when you have those two extremes, you have no model for positive, healthy femininity or masculinity in that way that you go, okay, emotions, no bueno. Wow. Um, wow. What, and you stay away from them. So, was there a big age difference between your father and mother? No, no. Okay. Um, two years. Okay. So, so young, he was 19, she's 17. You're the first. Mm -hmm. 
first accident, uh, total accident, of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. they have to just scramble um, to make ends meet. Did they have an right. extended family? Were you guys? Uh, yeah. So from what I understand, I spent groups. a lot of time while my mother was still in her uh, last year of high school. Um, I was being watched by either my father's mother or my mother's mother. Uh -huh. um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of passing the baby around mm -hmm. in that way and and questions i have about that of course about attachment theory and how did that affect me and you know yeah. all of it really beside the point it just arrives at wherever i'm at right now no blame required just wanting to understand yeah. really. um, and the so, military yeah. kid life uh did you guys move around a lot we did and i do my and one of the conversations that i had with my mother um was that she one day she had felt absolutely terrible when uh, i came home and she asked how i was you know doing with school and uh you know that i hadn't she asked about me making friends and i said why bother because we're just going to move yeah and i don't re i don't remember that i don't remember that conversation so there's a lot that was going on in my brain at that point that i don't currently have uh, recollection of her connection to, but obviously was very formative for me. Um, but yeah, we did. We moved around a lot. Um, mm. And so it was all within the United States. So I didn't get any of the cross-cultural experiences that might have been helpful to me at that point. Hey, are you saying but, America's a monoculture? Is that what you're suggesting? I might saying we're not the best is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> biographically so. speaking, uh, when did that unwind for you when did you start to settle down like uh, or did your early adulthood just perpetuate the pattern of moving around a lot uh no actually so after we had finally moved back to um the state where i was born we then i was there that's ohio state uh, i went there and was there in ohio for oh gosh from that point probably almost would it have been almost well, 15 years or so? Mm. Um, so I, I spent my uh, my halfway through middle school, all the way through high school and college in Ohio. Um, so that stayed stable at that point. And I've only since six years ago moved out of out of the state to Florida, been there ever since. Um, but certainly I'm looking far more abroad at this point due to your aforementioned um cultural notation about America. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, to your, to, I was going to say to more directly answer your question about how I relate to emotions now, it's very different than the way that I used to dissociate. I, I do not demonize or, you know, um, find any fault in whatever range of emotions that we have. I do not act on them anymore. I realize I don't have to act on them. And furthermore, when there's an emotion, it's something, it's, it, it's as if it's a, a flag for me to go, this is something that needs a little more attention. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong about whatever it is that I'm feeling at that point, because feelings are opinions and they can be neither right nor wrong. They just are. Um, it's just something that I need to do a lot more digging into and having these tools that I've learned uh, through the course of my basically self-therapeutic and self-directed education on, on the matter that I can now, okay, now I've got what I need to actually face these things and look into them and, and get to mm -hmm. the bottom of it. So. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question and it, it just in my mind, it, it sounds judgmental and I don't mean it judgmental. Um, I yeah. mean okay. it just openly. How mm -hmm. is testosterone or taking testosterone, giving yourself testosterone? Is that mm -hmm. an, a way of you loving yourself or n not? Mm. 
That's a really good question. Um, is that a way of loving myself? So long as it still provides me with more benefit than cost, hmm. I do believe so, yes. Um, I am fully open-minded at any point to reevaluate that stance because, again, this is an experiment. I know, especially, there's there's a lot more literature on males, male to female, as they call it, but males taking, you know, feminizing hormones and not as much on the other, the, you know, the other side of that, which I believe have to do with, you know, allowing females now since the Cultural Revolution to do a little bit more exploring in that way openly. Um, so it's less of a known thing. But um, anyway, I am... Cultural revolution? Sexual revolution. Okay. The 60s of, you know, female liberation. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to, if you're doing like a great leap forward here, uh, reference (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, right. No, I appreciate you clarifying that. Um, uh, Yeah, so I'm... I'm, I I fully recognize that this is an experiment. My hypothesis is that there's, you know, perhaps some physiological mechanism that makes me... uh, better adapted or perhaps more optimally operating in some ways on testosterone. And when that ceases to be the case, then Mm. testosterone ceases to be administered. Um, I'm, but I'm also aware of all the, you know, long-term things that could happen. I don't plan on having children. And of course I had a double mastectomy because that was something of an aesthetic choice for me and, and really has been there. If I think about any dysphoria that's ever been there since day one, that was definitely it. Um, so that was an act of, of if anything, self-expression, and I guess what I my identity is the way that I see myself visually appealing mm. to myself mm. um, in in this particular avatar in this life. Even though in the grand scheme for me, it's it's just to play a part, to play a story, to experience mm. something. Um, so for now, yes, testosterone is is loving myself if anything just to scratch that intellectual itch of just you know what if because that is always mm. what if always what? on my mind what if what? what if what if there is you know a physiological basis for sex that we've not yet quite identified and that you know just because someone is born with a certain genitalia doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have hormonal receptors that operate perhaps more optimally for what we expect you know of the mm. opposite sex mm. so what was the uh, experience of taking tea then for you? Yeah. So for me, I mean, I hate needles despite having, you know, 50 hours worth of tattooing. I hate needles and the experience <laughs> of, you know, and people always say, oh, you've got tattoos. You you must, you know, not be bothered by needles. No, no, no. It's a very different experience. Um, so, I mean, of course, it's taken a long time for me to just get over, you know, the act of giving myself the injection, uh, tried intramuscular. That was horrifically painful and, and, and traumatizing experience in and of itself. We'll never do that again. So subcutaneous has been my route. Um, but how does the, that work? Is that like a pouch of leak? Uh, like it just leaks or from what I understand, it's, you just take, um, adipose tissue. So you put it in uh, some fat tissue. Uh, so I had just a little belly fat, you know, put it in there. And then, um, I'm guessing, I think the mechanism is such that because it's within the fat tissue that it is, um, a, a much slower, 
diffusion throughout your entire body versus, of course, intravenously. That would be, you know, very nearly instantaneously. But there are also hormones that just by their very nature are much slower acting anyway. They're not, you know, quick like adrenaline is where it has an immediate effect on your body. Um, From what I understand, testosterone and estrogen are much slower uh, types of hormones to act on your body. So Hmm. I think between those two mechanisms, it is a slow slow release in that way. How frequently is the uh, dose once a week, currently, okay. for me. I, I interviewed so, uh, but, a intersex man, uh, like uh, our disorder of sexual development, James Linehan, and he, his body either doesn't produce, yeah, I think for some reason it doesn't produce the testosterone, so he has to take it. And he mm-hmm. told me the experience was that uh, he takes it once a week. So on Saturday night when he takes in his injection, or Saturday, mm-hmm. he, he starts mm-hmm. as an 18-year-old man and then by friday he's a 50 year old man like it spikes for him um that it has a very powerful effect how does it how did it start to affect you and how did you adjust to that sure yeah so um from that aspect of it what i did notice initially for those first three months i did have what seemed to be like quick flashes of um emotion, whether that be like super excitement or, you know, I would get upset about something and it wouldn't even, it wouldn't be in context of anything. I would just be sitting there and I would get a flash of some kind of an emotion. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, but then again, that lasted very, very briefly in the first three months. Um, and even shortly after, um, starting to administer, what I understand is can be a typical experience. I was just, I had so much energy. I was so gung ho. I just, you know, I had this drive to just do all kinds of things. And what, I mean, setting sex drive aside, which that's a pretty known, <laughs> a pretty known effect. Um, just this absolute, you know, um, adventurous lust for life um, hmm. and and focus on being able to do things. I just felt absolutely invincible, unstoppable. Um, and, and to some degree that still does happen, you know, for me, I do get in these, you know, modes where that absolutely occurs, um, less frequently these days. And I think that's just simply a byproduct of age and everything else to, to Mm. be accounted for. Mm. Um, but in general, I don't notice anything, any major, um, perceptual shifts, honestly, Mm -hmm. at this point. So, and how, what are other benefits then? Do you, do you feel um, more comfortable in your skin or? Yeah, it's interesting. So just the body shape that I find appealing to myself, you know, more uh, muscular, you know, fat disposition or di- um, I'm sorry, disposition, distribution, yeah. fat distribution. Thank you. In in certain areas, you know, having a much more, you know, chiseled face, less, you know, less of a round shaped face in general. I particularly for myself admire those qualities, but I've also been kind of um, a type A personality from the beginning. So for me, I think there's some sort of a, you know, a a natural alignment there, whether that's a cognitive um, conception or it's something that's going on more subconsciously. I'm not really sure and mm. they couldn't really break that apart, but yeah. So just, uh, and the facial hair, 
love it. I wish I could grow more of it. I really do. Um, I don't know why. It's just these are these are things that I've sat and tried to figure out, like from an evolutionary biology standpoint. Like, oh, why would I want more hair? Oh, it's you know, so you can be you know more rough and rugged and protected, and you know, animals with fur. That's like you know, I don't know any any number of theories and, and uh, hypotheses on that. That of course I can't even begin to maybe prove or disprove. Um, it's just what I have at the end of the day is just. I like this or I don't like this. Why or why don't I? And try to eliminate or include as many things as I can into that and then just say, okay, well, hmm. that's, that's the best I got. But yeah, the testosterone does help me with, with those things. The the body fat distribution, the more muscular, the um, face shape, the, the facial hair, um, all of those things in general mm-hmm. just contribute to something that I personally aesthetically like for myself. So. One... Um problematic aspect of medical transition is that it never ends and it is uh kind it can be sort of like an art project that is highly self-referential but you know it's like achilles and the tortoise or achilles and the arrow where it can you can you're never going to get there you're always going to be halfway away from the target right in a way if you don't if you get really obsessed with transition, like it just, you can always just be stacking up more and more and more and more things that yeah. you can do. Um, the male to the female um, transition, uh, you could break your clavicles and you know get more feminine. This, do your, redo your voice, do all the all these different things. Um, sure. What's the limiting principle for you? Are you aware that there is no limiting principle, or like what's enough? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. For me, because I have this, I think, because I have this belief that it's, this is, we are eternal. And it is, I know a lot of people tend to be obsessed with the destination. And this gets more into, I think, the, um, what what would they call it? Um, Philosophical musings about how to go about life in a quote unquote happy way. For me, you can't ever get it wrong because you can't ever get it done. You won't ever get it done. And so I know that for some people, they are obsessed with that, like you said, the the end result. You know, how how can I get to whatever this ideal that it is? Um, and for me, because I don't have an attachment to that, it's just a one step at a time and then an evaluation at each of those steps without having to put a label or a destination on it. Um, and the the tether to reality for me is that is this undeniably causing me more harm, more harm as in, um, you know, physical detriment. Um, so like, for example, bottom surgeries. Do I think it would be really fun and useful to have all of that done for me in the way that I like to live my life? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Is it practical with where we're at, Hmm. medically speaking? And for me, the answer is absolutely not. Um, I don't have such severe dysphoria that if I do not get this surgery, my life will be absolutely miserable without it. It's not even close to that. And I I do not judge anybody who is at that point, who has dysphoria to that point where it's not touchable by any type of, or I should say, um, it's not bearable enough with any kind of talk therapy or other types of therapy that it's that or bust for them. 
I understand and no judgment for me at all on that end of the the transsexual experience. But for me, the answer is always a careful consideration of, am I going to experience more negative than, than positive for me with this? Um, it's not about getting into a box, um, mm-hmm. which I think I, I did a video about that. Actually, and we might be approaching trans medicine backwards rather than trying to say, do you want to be a boy or a girl or male or female? It's, which of these characteristics do you want? Why do you want them? And let's take them one at a time. And I think the problem that a lot of people face with that is that there still is not a ton of acceptance of atypical uh, expressions of male or female or masculinity or femininity. There are people that have a lot of problem with men in dresses or wearing red lipstick out in public. They don't necessarily want to be female, but they like those things. But we as a society, I'm perhaps speaking for people I shouldn't be speaking for, hmm. it seems as though people have a very uncomfortable response to that based on, you know, whatever their own experiences or perhaps our natural, you know, evolutionary biology. I don't know. It's different for every person. But this this discomfort in being able to accept these different uh, expressions might push people to to uh, one box. You know, am I passing enough? You know, in order to avoid this really uncomfortable in between. Um, mm, and so mm-hmm. I uh, that's where I think as a society, it may be beneficial for us to have an equal measure this ability to you know, reason and logic without going to the snap, you know, emotional judgments and be able to take people individually and assess it from there versus having this blanket discomfort uh, about Mm. these, um, what you might call non-binary expressions. I don't like that word at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) for various reasons. Um, But I think that's what people are getting at is gender non-conformity in in so many ways. that people are just either afraid of it, they're disgusted by it, they're, you know, and if we could just talk about it, just why do you feel that way? And not have that other person on the other end feeling, you know, hurt or upset that they're not being accepted. I understand why that is because we're all, a lot of us are running around as little children still wanting to be accepted and loved for who we are. So there's mm. all of that going on at the same time. It's just a bunch of people, in my opinion, with tons of trauma on both ends of it, just trying to get by in their own lives. And to me, I just wish that people could have mm. those conversations, you know, be mm. open about it. But anyway, be that's the why adult you want to see in the world or in the room, <laughs> I guess. is the Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this on my channel or on use on YouTube uh, or wherever mm-hmm. uh, this podcast yeah. is being listened to. But you said something about um, having a penis that is fun and useful, and I understand the <laughs> yeah. fun part. But what what yeah. do you mean useful? Like uh, like just <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, for me, um, without getting too graphic, um, as far as my own role sexually okay um that would be optimal it would be for convenient me in my yeah. experience okay. yes it, right. yes so that useful in in that respect and also it would be fantastic to be able to pee standing up how functional no, yeah. <laughs> and how no. quick is that yeah. let me tell you um 
many times where I wish, you know, hunting with all of my dad's friends up you know, at the cabin, being the only awkward female uh, and having to try to, in, in amongst tons of, you know, winter clothes, try to, you know, undress in a certain way and keep everything from getting on you so the deer don't smell you. Like, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So, yeah, um, useful in that way would have been great. Okay. So, yeah. I just, I had to, because he said useful. I'm like, whoa. whoa I'm very glad you, I'm, I'm very glad you did. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> sometimes I say things that I don't quite understand <laughs> uh, their impact in other people's minds, which is why I want them to be able to talk to me. You, uh, what I say might upset so many people, but please talk to me about it. I'm not going to take somebody's, you know, response to what I say offensively, because ultimately at the end of the day, I know it's based on whatever their experience of things are. And that's nothing personal for me. Um, I am simply evoking you know, that memory, that response. Um, so I, I cherish being able to work through those sorts of things with people because every conversation that I've ever had where I've been able to do that, people have always left it at the end of the day. You can see there's a brevity about them that they've been able to get this discomfort off of their shoulders because somebody just was willing to listen and, and not you know, get angry about what they had to say or feel defensive or anything, which is why, you know, the work that I do, like with, uh, with parents, you know, dealing with all of this with their children, with the gender ideology and everything. It's amazing to me how many parents are still coming at conversations with their children from that very, you know, themselves, very fearful, childlike perspective. Um, and just that shit being able to shift for them, you know, that feeling, give them some trust and confidence and validation for their feelings, being able to see that inner child within them and say, you know, it's okay that you're feeling all of these things. And I know that you, you're hiding it from your child so that they don't feel that way. You have to work through all of that because your kid feels that, I believe anyway, your kid feels all of that emotion, it comes out in what you choose to say and all of your body language. And when you're feeling that conflict, they're feeling it. And because children are extremely egocentric, they'll think, I caused this. I did this. This is my fault. And it's it, it prevents those conversations from even being able to happen because the kid in a lot of cases will just shut down um, and, and may even internally start to dissociate from all of those um conversations and those feelings and those ideas and 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 now they're cut off from actually being able to access it and work through it it might seem on the surface like it's okay um but then you might come up against later on down the road okay the kid's 18 now and out in that wider world and never got any of those conversations never got that out is now legally able to pursue these medicalization aspects and i've had parents come to me with kids who are you know and now they're not kids anymore they're in their you know 19, 20, 21, 22, pursuing all these things before they've had that, you know, prefrontal cortex development. And in, in that window of time, you can do a lot of damage to yourself hmm. and they can't have these conversations with, with their children anymore because they're, they're technically adults. And it's, it's, it's so, it's so depressing and devastating at that point, which is why I, I hope that more parents become more aware of their, you know, internal going back to traumas of their internal traumas and how that's coming across to their children so that they can have those conversations is just absolutely crucial for the generations that are coming up. Hmm. Um, is there an ethical component 
to you participating in medicalization and that same process being offered to children? Is there an ethical responsibility that you feel that you're, that what you are doing is also being done to children? Like it's the same medical industry. Um, it's the same kind of, it's the same drug. Um, yeah. Can you, can you rephrase that a little bit? Yeah. So I know how to, I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering, um, if you don't think it's proper for children to be medicalized in this way, um, Mm -hmm. and it is happening. Um, Mm -hmm. I, there's every once in a while, there's somebody on Twitter who says that's not happening to children. And you're like, okay, you don't know what you're talking about. So I'll, I'll tell you that it is. And, and Mm -hmm. we'll see where you are. Um, right. I guess, I, I guess, okay, let me retract that question and, and mm-hmm. try to get some understanding from a completely other way. Why are you working with parents on this? How did you start working with parents on this? Yeah, so it actually, it happened by complete accident. Um, so I had been, I have been posting things on my YouTube channel since I started with this whole transition process. So it's been five years now. At first, it started out as somewhat of a vlog type thing where I just, you know, okay, this is my voice three months on T, six months on T, you know, blah, 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 Mm. those sorts of physical changes. And then over time, as I started to, you know, get a little bit more into, as you said, the ethical, philosophical ponderings of that, because my brain just generally tends to work that way. I I was the kid that was always asking why, why, Mm. why, why this, why that? So it sort of morphed into, I recognize that it seems as though there's a space for adult transsexuals to bring some other perspective to this entire discussion that as i was seeing played out you know politically socially medically um did not seem very reasonable at all that it seemed like activism in that way was getting a lot more attention than what i felt was perhaps a more critical logical balanced even-handed view of this and so i started posting a lot more videos about you know those sorts of topics and i started to get parents actually contacting me through the channel saying i'm having trouble finding therapists who are not gender affirming who will actually talk to either me or my kid in a way that's going to explore all of this a lot more thoroughly rather than just saying you are what you say you are and we're going to go with you know the the child's direction essentially under the child's direction do you know anybody and i said i i don't actually know of anybody and not to mention a lot of therapists have to operate within (coughs) their state so there's licensing that says you know it's state by state so you would have to come up with kind of a network in that way and i hadn't hadn't even come close to plugging myself in in that way so i said you know i've i've done a lot of work on myself and i've consumed an incredible amount on this topic and all the tangential you know topics related to this that are framework for understanding this phenomena i I think I can help you. I'm not a licensed therapist, but I think I can give you I can give you some support. Um, and before you know it, there were people offering to to pay me to do this. Um, they were 
you know, a bit surprised that it was a transsexual of all people because in their mind that was somewhat the enemy. So there was a little bit to overcome there for some people. But there were some parents that were just so desperate that after coming <laughs> to my videos, which had a very – I aim to have a very even-handed perspective on things that they were willing to overlook that just to get some some help. Um, hmm. And so that's when I started to, you know, again, really dig into all of this and realize that because I'm not licensed in some ways, and people know full well up front that I'm not, um, that I am able to perhaps do, you know, offer some help in some ways that a licensed therapist would, their hands would be tied, again, with the whole, you know, gender affirming um being fearful of losing a license, you know, that sort of thing. So um, there's a full disclaimer up front. And uh, as so far with who I've worked with, the vast majority of them have just been appreciative to have, you know, additional, you know, support. So. Yeah. So I, I guess that kind of answers the, like what I was trying to like flesh out. <clears throat> Pardon me. Something in my throat. Um, because if, how I got into this topic was watching the activists, very mm -hmm. radical college activists, claiming uh, to speak for all transsexuals. Mm -hmm. And in that claim, being able to just completely act like spoiled brats and get their way yeah. and, and manipulate mm -hmm. people in the name of transsexuals. And then also, once you start to look at the effect that activism has had on the medical industry, on the psychological associations, the pediatric associations, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, that's not proper. So there, you have to dis, uh, disambiguate between the, the medical procedures, the consequences of all that, and then this political social movement. And... Mm -hmm. And you as somebody, which goes back to my first question uh, at the beginning, is like, okay, you have this thing that you're pursuing or doing um, that is transition. You're transitioning somehow. And that is a medical procedure. And it's a personal procedure. And it has psychological uh, implications. And you're doing it for these reasons. And you have all this reasoning behind it. But that mm -hmm. same thing is a political identity. The same set of uh, procedures is being uh, foisted upon 11 year old girls, boys, um, leading to, you know, lifelong medical issues, you know, and, and then being promoted as like the, the brand new civil rights, um, the forefront of civil rights. And then you have like mm -hmm. the evidence of like somebody like Jazz Jennings, who's whole life has been derailed by that mm -hmm. and then propped mm -hmm. up as like the, you know, the poster, literally the poster child of born in the wrong body. And then you see what happens when, when that body is being messed with. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess just naturally from, from what you're saying, you ended up filling in that gap. You ended up uh, speaking out or filling in, in order to say, you know, these people who are claiming the trans identity and then foisting, you know, maybe some sort of like transhumanist communism on everybody are, are not mm -hmm. representative of everybody. And so like your ethical right. impulse is to fulfill the role of being the reasonable tranny, if that is 
<laughs> I know it. It sounds so um, so self important, doesn't? Uh, and egotistical to say that I, I'm a reasonable tranny. Um, and I, I hesitate. I hesitate with that label. I I look at it just as deploying critical thinking. Yeah. Um. Is is really what it boils down to? And and for me, I guess there was one thing that you had mentioned. I perhaps wanted to clear up is that whole idea of transitioning. I viewed it quite differently in the sense that I there was never necessarily an attempt to transition. There was never necessarily the I'm going to do this. It was okay. Could testosterone help me in any number of ways with its effects? Yes. Okay. Let's set aside that it's, you know, a, a hormone that we typically associate with sex in general, um, even though both males and females have it within them. Um, it was, can this improve my life? And, you know, will I enjoy the side effects? Never mind how the rest of the world is going to perceive that, because I think that's what kind of gets people turned. Uh, turned backwards um, hmm. is that they they're looking with an external locus of control external focus rather than the internal it's mm -hmm. how is everybody else going to see me versus you know how do I want to see myself ultimately at the end of the day and I understand you can't always separate the two because it's difficult bumping against society consistently who doesn't quite understand your nuance or your novelty like that's just as you said kind of a cross to bear with someone um, who is taking these sorts of steps is that, you know, and, and of course it's never guaranteed that you're going to mm -hmm. end up on the other end with all these hormones that looks like something that a person across the room can go, Oh, it's a male or that's a female. You know, you're, you're not guaranteed any of that at all. You might just end up in that ambiguous space forever. Um, and then you have to contend with that too. Um, so for me, I just, I came to it completely separating, you know, those um, framework, you know, from, from looking at it and just taking it one step at a time, which I know it might be difficult for, for some people, but that's just the way my brain has, has worked now that I'm actually using it <laughs> instead of just, you know, mm. um, trying to fit in, you know? Mm. So what's your future looking like? What What's your calling at this well, point in time? I, yeah. So I, I am immensely fulfilled with every single interaction that I have with someone in the exploration of their um, identity or somebody that they love's identity. So parent to child or within, you know, some someone who is exploring who, who they are through that framework um, and the conversations that I have with them just being present and non-judgmental and being able to look at things from a very coldly, objectively logical perspective. Um, the feelings will be something that, you know, we can work through as, as they come up, but to be able to separate the two, not that um, one is better than the other, they will work in tandem if you know, if you have the right tools to do you know, navigate that. Um, but currently I, like I said, I found great fulfillment in, in these conversations. So I, I love working with parents and, and their children on this, maybe partly because it's not something that I, I personally received as a child. Um, it's something that would have been great for me. And so to sort of live vicariously over and over and over mm -hmm. again, you know, being able to give parents, you know, those tools, cause I don't, I'm not, I'm, I am not of the, I want to talk to the kid first. Um, that is not 
my MO. That's not how I go. Uh, most of what you need can be found out, you know, through the parent first. You can get all of that and then give the parent the tools to talk to the kid or you can have the both of them, you know, together in the session Um because I certainly don't want to lead any child astray in any way. I believe that's the realm of, you know, the parent. You birthed the child that is your your legacy. Um, and I'm just here to help and in whatever way that I can with that. So I want to continue doing more work with, you know, parents in, in that respect. And, uh, and perhaps even late in life, people who come out to this ideology and, and who have seen 60-year-olds transitioning to, um, and, and that's wonderful for them that they don't feel that it's too late. They can still get some you know great enjoyment out of their life with that. And um, I do the public events as well. So I, I have an entire you know booth set up with a, a big old banner on the front that says, I'm transgender, let's chat. And uh, I just put myself out there in, you know, whatever event will have me for people to just come up and, and talk to. I've had the most amazing conversations with people through, you know, my channel and through that in-person. I mean, I, I, could you call that activism? I don't really know. It's it, mm. it's boots on the ground, kind of, you know, grassroots sort of project and movement. But yeah. um, it's it's so gratifying to me. And I would love to be able to do that. Um, full time and and continue to write. Currently, I'm I'm working on a packet of information that sort of um, as neatly as possible brings everything for parents of children who are experiencing this you know gender questioning, bringing that uh, information to one place for them to kind of you know crash course essentially. Um, I know that there are therapists out there. You had on your podcast a couple of days ago the mother whose public school was attempting to transition her daughter and she talked about Sasha Ayed's work. Um, I looked into that a little bit. And so I know that there are therapists out there who are actually doing that monthly membership support group for ongoing things because it isn't, mm -hmm. it will be an ongoing thing. Um, but I'm, I'm contributing in as many ways as I possibly can to this because I see this as something that is, it's not going away. This questioning of ourselves through the lens of sex and gender, now that there is starting to be more acceptance of this sort of exploration of self, it's not going away, I don't think. Not for many, many generations, it's gonna be something that we will learn to navigate as human beings. So for me, this kind of work, I know, I feel, will, will be needed for quite some time um, as our society adjusts to this way of of questioning and, and navigating and socializing and, and all those things i see it on a much much bigger scale so hmm. you're writing a packet not a not a book but a packet yeah so i'm writing a uh, so the packet is kind does of, it I have like call it like a a, a course like little erasers <laughs> in it or uh, little doodads <laughs> and stuff like that there there will be things like, you know, worksheets and questions and, and things like that in there, but then also just, you know, blocks of information or exercises that you can do, you know, for yourself as a parent to, you know, um, develop more emotional regulation skills. Because like I said, I know most of us didn't get that education and we're still suffering for it today. Hmm. Um, so, you know, bringing all that together as succinctly as possible. I am also writing an actual book. Okay, um, there we go. That is, is tangential to this, which is all about the transgender of to it. Yeah, hey, that's good. I like that. Um, <laughs> dad puns, love them. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so the, the it's book, a, it'll one be, of the fringe benefits of testosterone. 
Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, so it, it, the book is more about how to get all of these life skills and, and um, transcend your garbage, essentially, the trauma and everything from the beginning. All of those things that we just were not taught how to do, hmm. undo all of the, tra- the trauma as much as possible, and then move forward with a better foundation. Um, the book will be called You Are Here, and it'll be all about not me, but the skills and things and the process that I used to unwind all of this and then and then lay that foundation for myself. Hmm. You, I guess you could call it a self-help book, but I remember when I started going through all of this, I just thought – why isn't there like a manual of life? I need like an instructional booklet of life. Why can I just go, just go here, read this thing and you'll be able to kind of do well enough, you know? And I, cause I know it sounds maybe silly because life isn't that simple, but there's absolutely a foundation for which I believe might be helpful mm, to a great number of people. Of course, everybody's individual. You'll come about it in different ways. Um, but that's what I'm working on tangentially to, to this, you know, crash course for, uh, parents dealing mm. with um, that with their children, so that that and of course just you know working a regular nine to five job, so oh, okay. it's, uh, yeah. it's slow slow going, but yeah. um, it, it'll get there. And I was going to ask about um, formal schooling. If you have any interest in in that, so uh, formal schooling. I will definitely be attending more conferences and, you know, perhaps more, like you said, uh, formal education on the matter with having gone through um, as much as I have informally, the, the depth and the level to which I have. I do feel that it is sufficient at this point to to begin offering you know, help and continuing education is a must. It doesn't matter how much you think, you know, there is always something more to learn. Mm-hmm. And then as we understand more, then you, you update your understandings about stuff. And that's another thing is, is being humble and willing to admit that whatever, you know, framework that you have, it may not <laughs> be the one that 15, 20, 30 years from now would be the accepted framework, you know, i.e. Freud. Um, and all his ideas. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's a constant experiment, and realizing that will go a long way, uh, and and reconciling with that will go a long way. But anyway, yes, there's there's some interest in, in more formal education on the matter. So, is Artemis your given name or your chosen name? No, I, I chose that actually very very specifically. There's quite the story behind that, um, but uh, I, I did choose that name or rather i say it chose me actually i uh <laughs> i had asked i was on my motorcycle driving to work one day because i had known that i wanted to change my name of course and, you're uh, on a motorcycle yeah yeah love love my bike um and that was the place where i could just kind of um you know it was a meditative sort of state for me and so i just asked myself you know what 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 name do i want and quite literally it just dropped into my head because i had tried the method of you know oh look at the baby names and look at you know all kinds of just everything like what you know what characters do you like what you know and just try to go through this process and it was just grueling and i was so sick of it so i just finally you know on my bike one day just said i can i just have i just want a name just some inspiration you know and it literally just popped into my head and the more that i thought about it the more that i was like yes yes this is exactly what i want primarily because I know it to be a name that generally is perceived as gender neutral. And I wanted those sorts of conversations with people. I, perhaps rather mischievously, didn't want to give 
that away, a gender or anything. I didn't want to influence somebody in that way initially. And I wanted to see how they would respond to that name, especially during that whole transition period is very interesting. Um, and so for anybody paying attention or that knew the mythology behind the name, they would know that actually Artemis is a female goddess and she is one of two. She's twins with Apollo. And so for me, that whole duality, the masculine feminine and the, uh, you know, very uh, the strength of nature of Artemis, the the, uh, the mythological goddess, just everything about it was just absolutely resonated with me. And mm. I didn't know all of that before the name just popped into my head. So it just it just flowed so nicely. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I, I love it that it's not something the name itself doesn't give anything away to people. So it almost strips away a layer of subconscious bias that's just so tickling to me hmm. that now i get to see you know something of, of someone's response to me outside of that initial you know what's your name so what was uh Ar- artemis was she she's divination owl um what's they're, they're yeah. all, they always have a nasty side those those greek yeah gods and goddesses. diana so um she's diana goddess Moon. of the hunt yeah. um Yes. Yep. Yep. The hunter, the moon. Yep. Both okay. of those, um, depending Roman or Greek, which which aspect you're looking at it, and um, and she was rather, um, what should we say, uh, sharp in some ways. So she um, she actually severely punished. I think it was Actaeon. Can't remember a um, a immortal that happened to come across her while she was bathing. Yeah, um, that's the one. Know, na- yeah. Naked, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. And uh, and punished him mercilessly for that and was herself she had a harem apparently a following of of females although she never supposedly you know was active in that way sexually with any one of them somewhat aloof and untouchable in that way um rather mysterious but uh but but could be rather vengeful um Mm -hmm. so yeah that i i believe that to be her 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 darky side so what's what's the what's greatest in life what's greatest in life oh i i can't even begin to answer that question if you mean for myself what's greatest in life for myself is that what you mean sure sure (laughs) or what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) because that's i I've i've become much more careful about uh, asking very specifically what it is that um, someone means when they ask me something, because it, when you're in this realm, being in talking about transgender ideology or transgender in general, um, there are so many different definitions and ideas about what it is. And when people say, I am non-binary, I am transgender, I, I this or I that, they have their own idea of what that is when they communicate it. And so it's very, very easy to misinterpret and then answer in such a way that doesn't actually communicate that you are understanding someone or that you're you know attempting to connect in that way and it could be rather um alienating so Hmm. i'm more careful to ask you know what do you mean so what's greatest in life um yeah i I can't presume to even answer that question because it'll be different for every individual and and for each individual, it's a beautiful story. Um, Hmm. So I, I, yeah, I wouldn't dare to presume to say what's greatest. 
Well, if you were a real man, you would quote Conan the Barbarian and say, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations right, yeah. of their women. Yeah, right. To, to, to the horizon, matey. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, understand that completely, which is why it's uh, I, I, I pull back because I'm more interested in hearing what other people What brings you joy, then? What brings me joy? What brings me joy is however small or for brief a period of time, giving somebody some respite or relief from the tension that life generally is for a lot of people. If you don't thoroughly adopt the Wu Wei principle, um, the art of just being, you know, which I suppose unless you're an ascended master, that's really not. <laughs> not reasonable to think or expect um just those brief moments of, of respite in in conversation with people giving them that little moment um hmm. for me is is where it's at um because that's uh and you know a, a lot of people will feel that you know you are but a ship on the sea and uh, it can be very lonely and isolating sometimes again hmm. that hero's journey and so those those little moments they they give you enough to to keep going. So that's that is what I live for. Hmm. So. And where can people find your content? Yeah. So I have a YouTube channel, Tea Time with Artemis, and uh, I also now have an official website for hmm. the coaching. I guess you could call it coaching. I loathe to call it coaching because that seems to have such a yeah. My um, lady has a, a connotation. That word too. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. So I. It's yeah, and 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 among so many other things too. Um, so I, I have a, a website within guidance dot com, mm-hmm. and that is where I offer um, people to read a little bit about what I do on on that the guidance aspect. Since it's not technically counselorship, no licensure there. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find me. They can find me there, or of course through the YouTube channel. So that currently is, uh, or if you're in Central Florida, occasionally I'll have events. I don't announce when I'm going to be there beforehand because of, you know, for potential safety reasons. I don't yeah. need anybody thinking ahead of time. But um, you just show up yeah. with a booth and a packet. That's precisely what, and and uh, and a setup that's very inviting. So I am told where there are cups <laughs> for tea, to uh, and comfortable living room chairs for people mm. to uh, to sit mm. down and and have a, a very very as you term to conversation regarding yeah. a typically hot button topic well, you could be an art uh, not every activist needs a soapbox you can just have a love seat the love seat <laughs> activist i really like that i might have to think about that one <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining me thanks for reaching out and i'm really impressed with your work and it's great to um kind of co-ruminate with you about this and uh, open it up and links to your work will be down there in the description i highly suggest people check out your stuff and maybe you could consider doing podcast versions of your stuff if people are into podcasts i have been told that so many well, times we can do talk about it after the recording so, yeah yes, well, it's yes. really easy i'll tell you how to do it um off beautiful the yes thank i would love much. to yes thank you ben it's been a pleasure truly absolutely and that's the recording i like to dive in and the-